Thank you, Brother Jason. Please time me 15 minutes and five minutes to 15. Give me the T sign so I'll just stop wherever I am. Good evening, everybody. This evening, I'm going to be talking about something that is linked to the theme of the week, which is hashtag I am devoted. I'm joking. I am devoted. So moving swiftly on, the title of this um, you know, sermon is called What Are Your Drivers? I'd like you to ask the person beside you, what are your drivers? Did they give you a response? So find out from them, what are their drivers? What drives them? So can I have some shout outs? What did people say their drivers were? Huh? Someone said God is their driver. Okay, anyone else? Sorry? The Holy Spirit. What else? Huh? Excellence. So what comes to my mind when I think about drivers, I automatically am translated into a business boardroom setting. And I'm looking at the strategy of a business and I'm looking at what drives our corporate strategy. What are we looking for as a business? When I hear the word driver, I don't think God. I personally think business. So in a business, and I like to give this analogy, businesses, their main driver is to, yeah, make money. And that driver will influence the different projects that they set on the ground. Am I correct? So it's similar to where the Bible says if a man is going to build a house, he needs to sit down and count the cost, right? So today I'm going to be looking at motive and intention. So if we could quickly turn to First Chronicles 20, chapter 28, verse 9. And we will read together because I believe that we're going to end up memorizing this scripture by the time the week is over. So all together on three, one, two, three. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you him, he will be found by you. But if you reject him, so if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Sorry, it seems to be off the board up there. Is there a way that we could correct that? So, the first thing I looked at, in some versions of the Bible, the way it says the motive behind every thought, the word thoughts reads intention. So that's what I'm looking at today. You know, as we do in CFT, I opened up the dictionary and I looked for what does the word motive mean? And I found out that it means a reason or reasons for acting or behaving in a particular way. So, for example, I am studying because I want to get a good degree that will get me a good job. I am taking vitamins and eating healthily because I do not want to die of a heart attack. I am working hard to make money so that I can get my foot on the housing ladder. We all have various drivers. So what is intention? Once again, the dictionary definition states, a thing intended, an aim or a plan. And it uses various synonyms to define intention. So purpose, intent, objective goal. So God sees the motive behind every intention. So in essence, God can see the reason 
behind the plans and the goals in it that you set. Right? Are we on the same page? Right. So my next bit goes on to, so what actually influences the reasons that we make certain plans? What influences our motive and our intention? Could anyone shout me out something they think can influence your motive and your intention? Yeah, bam. Whoever said surroundings, that's exactly what came to my head. Your surroundings. So who's, in sociology, who's heard of that story of the kibbutz where there was some kid that was, I think he was born in a cage and forced to live in a cage for the whole of his life. And he didn't know how to behave outside of a cage because he'd lived in a cage his whole life. It's similar to a story I was told in the same sociological class where we looked at the study of a boy who was raised by wolves. His whole life he'd interacted with wolves and he didn't understand how else to function out of that. So I believe that one surrounding definitively affects your motive and your intention. The Bible says, and this is a scripture that was read across this week, that bad company corrupts good character. So I'm going to go to a scripture that Apostle took us to yesterday. Because when Apostle read the scripture, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. That links in directly with what I want to talk about today. So, Romans chapter 8 verse 5. If we could quickly turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 5, please. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So in the translation that I was reading, it states, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So I'm going to look at two elements of the flesh. That is sin and then worldly pleasure. Because there are some worldly pleasures that they're not sins, but they're still not good things to get involved in. Am I correct, right? So sin. The book of Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 talks about the flesh and what the flesh desires. Could you quickly turn? It says the sinful nature, which is the flesh, desires what is contrary to the spirit. Wake up at 12 o'clock and pray, my flesh wants to sleep. Who's that happened to before? Kneel down on the floor and wake up the next morning and your knees are burning you because you actually didn't pray, but you fell asleep. Who's that happened to before? And then I was like, Holy Spirit, heal my dead leg. So I know how to pray when I'm waking up from dead leg. <laughs> the point is, the flesh acts in contradiction to the spirit. So this scripture goes on to say in verse the, the second part of verse 17. I'll read from the beginning. It says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want to do. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus is at our heart knocking, even if we aren't saved, trying to tell us, don't do this wrong thing. Stay on the straight and narrow. Don't deviate. Don't get distracted. But the flesh sometimes can pose as, you know, a contradiction to that. It says here that in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Could we go to verse 18? You are not under the law. Um, if we see here, we understand that the Spirit, the flesh and the Spirit are always in conflict. The flesh tries to make us feel like, oh, it's such a chore to do the right thing. It makes doing the right thing seem legalistic, when actually 
wherever the spirit is, there's freedom and there's liberty. So you're free, really, but the flesh makes you think otherwise. The spirit desires holiness and righteousness. And we know this in the Bible because the Bible tells us to be holy as he is, uh, he is holy. But sometimes it's difficult. So within the, the secular life, you know, this is what I was talking about, the two strands of the flesh. The flesh can sometimes be self-consumed and seek personal commendation and accolades for performing a task. So if I landed the biggest account at my workplace, I expect to be credited for it. But sometimes we take this attitude into the house of the Lord. So sometimes this can translate into, I can heal the sick. I healed that sick person. I manifested in the power of the Lord. And what I'm speaking to us today, because Apostle said it's power night today, is where is our motivation and where is our intention really at? Why do we seek for the gifts of the Spirit? Is it to showcase that we are the best at it? Or is it to serve the common good? Because actually, service of the common good is what the spiritual gifts are there for. So, ultimately, one can be consumed or directed by what they set their mind on. And if your mind, for example, if you want a particular, a particular gift or whatever from the Spirit, is set on the wrong reason for wanting that gift, you may find out that you're led askew, that you do not actually reach the end mark, if that makes sense. So I'd just like to read finally on that particular point from Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, which says, So I live by the Spirit so that I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Brother Amadou said something earlier on this week on the youth panel that the eyes have no filter. And sometimes what we see people in the world do, what we see our friends do, our colleagues do, can have a negative impact or influence on our motives. Inherently, you're put in a position where you start doing things and making plans that aren't godly. So, I had a discussion earlier on this week, actually, with um, Sister Remy. And this is what inspired this next portion here. There is no direction in darkness. If you want the right thing for the wrong reason, you're not going to reach the end game. Does everybody understand what I mean? So you'll be somehow misdirected. Um, I understand from the scripture of 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9 that the Bible says, can we go back to that scripture again just so that I can... It says, and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. So before it even comes to your motive and intention, if you're serving God sincerely with, a whole, with wholehearted devotion, then your motives and your intention will be in accordance to the things of the Spirit. But if your service of God is insincere and it's because you just want people to see that you're doing something or it's because you're trying to prove that you're the most spiritual, you can speak the best tongues, then it will be somehow misdirected. So I'd like to get two volunteers very quickly, very quickly. Okay, guy from Ireland. Sorry, I can't remember. Okay, and guy from London. Now, as a Christian who lives in the world but is not of the world, we often hear lots of different theories and, you know, teachings, and they can be somewhat deceitful. So, for example, we hear a lot about prosperity teachings. We hear a lot about come as you are, stay as you are. You don't need to change. The Holy Spirit has forgiven you. And this is thanks to Sister Remy. So if this um, analogy doesn't go right, I'm going to blame you at the end of it. <laughs> okay. So I'd like...
you to put on this around your face, please. So you can't see. Don't worry, guys, health and safety, so I won't allow him to walk off the stage. Right. And if you could stand on the inside. Okay, so sometimes I, I call this person a representation of a Christian who has the word but is misdirecting the use of the word. So these are people that twist the word for their own benefit. The Bible says this and you make it in accordance to what will satisfy the flesh as opposed to the spirit. So this is you, a representation. Turn around, keep turning. This is a representation of you hearing all those words and them having some kind of effect to your ears or to your eyes. Now, I want you to walk towards the drum set. Oh, he's got a really good sense of... (laughs) I want you to stop there. And I want you to come. One who... Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Because now you're going to listen to my voice. Stay where you are. Turn around. One who hears all of these false concepts. One who reads the scripture but decides to apply it in accordance with the spirit. I want you to walk towards the drum set. He's a bit dizzy. I'd like you to take off the blindfold and find out where you are. (laughs) Yeah, nowhere near. (laughs) Can we give them a round of applause, please? smells nice doesn't it i'm very big on like physical demonstrations because i think they resonate better and you it goes in better i see the blindfold as akin to christians like i said earlier who have the truth but are not sincere in their service of god and therefore their insincerity their lack of wholehearted devotion takes them further away from god's promise We all know that God has a promise for us. Okay, today the drum set was that promise. But it didn't matter how much he thought he was going in the right direction. He was actually, it seemed, nearly walking far away from God. The second person I see as one who sets his heart on the things of the Spirit. And therefore, when he sees or hears things that are contrary to the Word, even though he might be a bit topsy-turvy getting there, Because we're human beings, you know. We're not going to pretend that when there are teachings that we're not going to think, hmm, is that true? Or that sometimes we're not insincere in our act of service, because sometimes we are. But because he lives his life in accordance with the Spirit, he will make it to the end, and he will be able to achieve that crown at the end. I would just like us to make a note of, am I... Okay, a note of Matthew chapter 15, and you'll see a story there where the Pharisees basically tried to change the meaning of the scripture to benefit themselves. Basically, they were trying to prove that they didn't need to honor their mothers and fathers because apparently God had need of their finance. So they didn't need to give their finance to their mother and father. And Jesus Christ himself spoke against this. So very quickly, just to round up, what does it take to live a life, you know, in the spirit, a life that is not led by the flesh and therefore a life that is influenced by wholehearted and sincere devotion to God. We're going to quickly go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. It says in this scripture, 
that no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. You need to fix your eyes on the author and the finisher of your faith. The more you look back, you will turn into a pillar of salt. It's as simple as that. The more you look to the side, you will be deviated to the side. If there's a blindfold on your eyes, you will literally walk in the wrong direction. You need to please your commanding officer. Our commanding officer is Jesus Christ. And he's so many teachings in the Bible that we need to live by and adopt, even if it's difficult. We are killing the flesh so that we can have a life in the spirit. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 goes on to say that an athlete, verse 5 please, Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. So don't expect to get all the benefits of the kingdom. If your heart of service is not sincere, if the reasoning and the motive behind your intention is insincere, then you may manifest in a gift for some time, like Apostle says, but you will soon find yourself like this gentleman going in the wrong direction because actually your reasoning for wanting the gift and to manifest in the gift is not there. So, is it too late? One of the things I was thinking about is that, but what if the condition of your heart is one that has been operating in the flesh? Can this change? Is there any kind of redemption for us? And I believe that there is. The book of Ezekiel 36, verse 20, 26, or verse, yeah, 26 to 27, says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, not the flesh of the world, but a heart of flesh to heed more to the voice of God. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And this reminded me of the scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 7. It says, lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him. You know, it's not in our own strength, it's not in our own power, but by the power of the Spirit of God. So I would ask everyone here today, that if you somehow feel your heart is not in the right place, your wholeheartedness is not sincere, then it's simply not a phone call, a mouth call away to Jesus to change the condition of your heart so that we can live a life of the Spirit and actually make it to see him when he returns again. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word, and I'd like to call up Brother Jason. Oh, we go ahead today. The youth from uh, Dublin, could you stand up, please? Dublin. Where are Dublin people? They are not here tonight. I saw them. I saw your keyboardies from Dublin. What about Ennis? Stand up, Ennis. And Limerick. All right. Have you presented any anthem? So you are going to sing for me tonight. All right. You know why we're gathered here tonight? Because of what Jesus said. Anything that Jesus says is just as he has said it. I told you there are three things that you need to put in your mind to be able to receive from God. Number one, you have to believe that what he's saying is true. 
Number two, you have to have faith that he will deliver that what he's saying. And number three, you have to be holy. The holiness required from God is the holiness that we attain by the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. And from Monday till this hour, what God has been doing with us here is cleansing us within. Reminding us how we should walk, reminding us how we should go, reminding us what is expected of a Christian so that you can operate the power of the Holy Spirit. And as God was speaking to us, he has been dealing with our hearts. Some of us have repented of some things that we used to do before we came here. God spoke to us in several ways. He spoke to us through the preaching of the word. He spoke to us through question time that we're asking questions and, you know, among the youths. And some of the youths were on the panel who were answering the questions with the word of God. And of course, they were speaking in the language of their age as well, from the age of 15, I think, to the age of 28. Mix, yeah? And God was speaking to us through their mouths, their lips, how we have to recognize that you cannot continue with the world and expect the grace of God to abound. And anybody who is born again, anybody who loves the world, the love of the Father cannot be in him. Because the love of the world and the passion of the world came from Lucifer. And the reason for it is to choke God in you so that you will not be able to manifest God. So we have some people who repented. We have a few who give their lives to Christ. They have never been born again before. But we have a large number of people who recognize that they've gone wrong in some things and they have, they have missed God. And they, they decided to purely repent before the Lord for whatever they have done. And they came together seeking God for a new touch. And those ones I will anoint tonight. Now, why was God doing that to us? God was working on the inside of us. God wanted us not to be hindered by anything. Because Romans chapter 4, verse 7, and verse 8. It says in verse 7, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. And that is what you and I receive when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is automatic when you say yes to Jesus. Whose sins are covered. And then he went further to say, Blessed, are the, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Go back to verse 7. I want to show you the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says there are those whose transgressions are forgiven. And that only happened through the New Testament when Jesus died. In the past Old Testament, no sin was forgiven. Because it takes the blood of the Lamb to forgive sins. But he went further to say, whose sins are covered. In the Old Testament, sacrifices that was done covered their sin, waiting for the redemption of the Son of God. So this scripture covered those in the Old Testament, everybody who, who, who died from Adam to um, Malachi, to the time of John the Baptist before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
when they perform the rituals and sacrifice in those days, God covers their sins, waiting for the redemption. But then it says here, therefore, blessed are those of the old and the new. The old, among the old, those who were identified with God, and God gave them sacrifices whenever they commit sins, they do these atonement sacrifices. And then those of us who are born again. But the next verse covers both. And it says, blessed is the man. You see now it's a little bit different. It's now personal. Because it is you who will choose to be saved. You are the one responsible to say yes to the Lord. Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open the door, I and my Father will come into you and we will make a dwelling in you. And the Bible says that people who fall into this category, blessed are they who, who sins the Lord will never count against him. So by the washing of the blood of Jesus, we have become sinless. Now we have gone through several scriptures that now tells us that now that you are born again, you must walk like sons of light, daughters of light. Now that you are born again, you must not stay in your garment any longer with sin. Now that you are born again, you must not say yes to any thoughts that comes to your mind that you know is contrary to God. You don't want to be rising and falling again and again because there is, a, there is penalty to pay when you fall. You always bruise your legs, isn't it? Same thing with God. Whenever we go astray, we make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy. And we have heard from the Lord directly how much God loves us. And that's why he's saying all that to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 3. Shall we read it together? No, let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3. 2, 1 to 3, shall we? Now we understand the fact, therefore, that scripture says, as for you and myself, we were dead in transgression, our transgressions, and in our sins before salvation. In the past, we committed sin recklessly. We did what, was, what we thought was right and what is good to us, but not necessarily what pleases God. There are a lot of things that people do to themselves, but it doesn't please God, because before God is sin. But then he revealed to us here who is in charge of such disobedience. When the heart of a person cannot submit to instructions of the Bible, what is responsible for it? When a person finds it hard to just accept the scriptures and just do the will of God, what is responsible for it? And this scripture helps us to understand that it's a devil somewhere. It says we, we, we used to live in this way. We follow the ways of this world. Okay? Anything that goes in the world goes with us. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, he is the one that rules the world. The spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, if anybody therefore is a disobedient, certainly is somebody who is already obeyed. 
Somebody who knows the right thing, which means he's talking about the church, God's people. Because you cannot disobey what you do not know as a rule. And when you were in the world, there is no rule against it. Every ungodliness is just the right way to live. But when you now accept Jesus Christ, you are exposed to the truth. That you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot do that, you cannot do this, this is the way to go. Someone says that, why is it that Christianity always gives people rules and regulations? And when that person asked me the question, I laughed. And I said, show me an institution that has no rules. Even you, yourself, as a human person, do you not have rules? That's why you have the time you wake up. And if you don't wake up at that time and you go late to office, you know you'll be sacked. So you put yourself under a rule to wake up at a particular time. Some of you have rules about when you eat. Okay? Really, the whole life of a man is full of rules. You buy your meat, you don't eat it raw. You cook it. It's the rule. And you don't have to like cooking the meat. Okay? But you have to obey the rule. Because the rule is that you cook it before you eat it. What about if someone says that why should lion be eating the raw meat? Why can't I just eat flesh? You eat it for seven days and then you will tell the stories. What I'm saying therefore to you is that we have rules that govern our body. You wake up in the morning, you bath, you wash your mouth, you brush your teeth. Those are rules that man imposes upon himself that man has to obey. The whole of the life of a man to be, to be, to be sane is guided by rules and regulations. I mean, today you came for the, for the, um, the, the, what do you call it? Cash? Passion? Passion for your future. You came for passion for your future. Now, every one of you who came for passion for your future, you will discover that when you woke up in, you know, this morning, you have to restructure yourself so that you will not miss it. You have, to, you have to regulate yourself so that you can be partaker of it. So you need to have an understanding that some who ask that, but why should we have regulations in Christendom? The reason is because a, for a man to be sane, he has to be regulated. A man that is not regulated is, 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 is insane. Insanity is a function of dysregulation. In another words, if a person doesn't have regulation over his life, he does things anytime and anyhow, he may not bath for seven days because he doesn't want to be regulated and he may not bath for one month and not wash his mouth for one month, something begins to happen to his brain. If the brain of a man is working, he will regulate himself. Because regulation gives you, it delivers you to destiny. Regulation helps you to, to perform better in life. Regulation helps you to be disciplined to your body. And so is the kingdom of God. We are regulated by the laws of God. According to the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 1, it says, For therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus the Lord, the Spirit of life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Both have laws. Both have laws. The law of the of, 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 for, the, for the law of, 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 um, of, of um, 
Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, law of the spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, if you are not set free by the law of the spirit, you will be bound by the law of sin that brings death. Are we together? Come on now, church. Hey, I can't hear you. Understand, you put your heart in the power you receive tonight. So, blessed are those of us who have decided not to follow the law of sin that leads to death. By choosing the part of the Lord Jesus, everything about Jesus blesses man. Everything about Jesus brings life to man. It is the law of spirit that gives life. But the law of sin brings death and regrets and sorrow. We made up our mind this week that we are not going to allow the law of, of sin and death to prevail over us. I can hear your amen, somebody. I'm just so happy that Satan lose this week. Come on now. If the devil thought he got you before, that was before this meeting. He lost you right now. Come on now, say amen. You know, I was speaking with those who rededicated their life to, to, to Jesus. I said to them that there is something I know about you. Somebody is sad about you now. His name is called the devil. The devil doesn't want us to do the will of God. Because he knows that when we obey God and we walk with God, our, our, our destiny is easily achievable. And he is the one that works in the mind of everyone who is disobedient. Don't forget that, therefore, if any spirit comes to you to disobey a thought, know is who? Who can that be? I cannot hear you. Look at Ephesians 2 again and verse 2. The spirit who is now at work in who? Alright, let's read that again. I think we have to read 1 and 2 again. The day just broke, isn't it? Say to somebody beside you, thank God it's Friday. I think I will call my own Hallelujah Friday. Amen. Shall we do it together? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed. And... Yes? So, when a person is obedient to the laws of God, who is at work in him? Come on, say it loud. Say it loud. How many headquarters are here? Ireland, let me hear you say, who is the one behind the person who is obedient? Say it loud in Irish. Huh? You didn't say it loud. Huh? On the evil. Ah. So, Irish also know the devil. They call him on the evil. Pastor Tayo, can you tell me what the devil is in Hausa? Satan. Pastor Sidney. In Urubu, what do you call him? Echu, Echu. Echu, ne. Ay, 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 ay. 
French? Oh, 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 Pastor Roger, what do you call the devil in French? He will have no way to escape. Le diable. Uh -uh. Any other language here? Where is the Ghana? Huh? Who, who, who is from Ghana here? <laughs> Are you Ghana? You can speak. You, you know it's in Ghana. You know devil in Ghana. So there is no place in the world that devil is not. Eh? What do you call him in Ghana? In Ghana. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I told you. I told you. That guy is British. <laughs> He's just British. Do you, do you remember what they call him in Ghana? In, in Ghana? A tree. Beye. Beye in tree. May the Lord destroy Beye in the name of Jesus. In my own dialect, before I became a, 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 a Scottish man, He's called Eshu. May he never prevail over you. Yeah. Every activity of the devil over your life shall be frustrated. Yeah. You will not listen to the voice of the devil. Yeah. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. The voice of strangers, they will not follow. Listen to me. The devil, Jesus told us what he, his, his purpose or not, to kill to steal and to destroy. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. And in John 10, 10, he says, But the Son has come, that you may have what? Life, and have what? Abundantly, or to the fullest. Listen to me, therefore. If you go back to that Ephesians, because that's what will drive us into the power. That Ephesians, the reason why Ephesians began to speak and Paul was speaking about all this stuff here. It's because it was about to help you understand about the ministry gifts. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Shall we read it together? But to each one of us... You know, when you read the Bible tonight, I want to read it from tonight with joy. I will get it. When I read the Bible, I love it so much. Do you know why? That is the law that set me free. Come on now. And those are sure words of my maker that must happen in my life fully before I drop dead. Look at what he says here. To each one of us. How many of you are part of us? Raise your hand up if you are part of what the Bible is talking about. To each one of every one of us, what has been given? Say it loud. Say it loud. Say it loud. Say it one more time. Upon your head is the grace of God. Listen to me. The devil doesn't want to know that. Upon each one who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is the grace. When God looks at you, he sees his grace over you. And the Bible says here, but to each one of us grace has been given 
as Jesus Christ apportions it. Which means, you have a portion of grace, you have a portion of grace, you have a portion of grace, everyone have a portion, but we have various portions of grace. When you are born again, God gives you the portion. Alright? Why would He give you the portion? Because there are higher highs to go in your journey. You receive a portion from Jesus, and then I will show you, <clears throat> as you walk closely with Him, He will develop that in you to higher heights of portions. That's the reason why you may have ten pastors and they will have different abilities. You may have ten prophets and they have different abilities. You may have ten Christians and they will have ten different abilities. Because Jesus gives you portion. But the fact is this. You have a portion and that's it. There is no one in the church without a portion. Alright? But if you go down the next verse, we spoke about that yesterday. It says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his trail and gave gifts to men. He led captivity captive, the other translation says, and he gave gifts to men. When he ascended high, he led, he, he, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Then the next verse says, what does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? You remember I told you yesterday, if you want to go high in God, it's determined by how low you can go. If you want to be the head of all, the Bible says you should be the servant of all. And this takes me to the back to what we are talking about throughout this week. Your motive. Your motive. What is your motive? And then it says, having descended to the lowest part, the next verse, he ascended. He who descended is the very one who ascended high than all the heavens in order to what? Fill the whole universe. Some people believe in aliens. They brainwash you in England. We call them Inwi in Nigeria. There is no aliens anywhere. They are demons. Some of them are called Egbere. Some of them are belong, they belong to the category of Alujonu. Some of them belong to the category of Inwigbo. Are you together with me now? But in England, when they appear and people see them, they call them aliens. Who told you that there is A and aliens? There is no, no such thing as aliens at all. They deceive you, man. We used to worship those, 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 those useless things before Jesus saved us. So when we talk about them, we talk about what we know, not what we read in books or what we are told. There is no alien. It does not exist. Listen to what it says here. The one who descended to the very, is the very one who ascended to the highest state that he may fill the whole universe. Jesus is the one that filled the whole universe. But if you look at the next verse, I love it so much. It says it was he who gave some to be what? And then, and some, and some, and some. Now, we read it again. Shall we read it together? One, two, go. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. How many are they? 
Five mentioned there. So, which means that if we interpret English correctly, every human being that comes to the church of God, once they are born again, they belong to one of these five groups. You remember, you are given by Jesus different measure. That's why this week, we have some of, the, some of you come here to share the word of God. We can know those who are teachers among them. We can know those who are pastors from among them. When they were asking questions the other time, on Tuesday, and they were opening the scriptures to answer the question, I told them, oh, you, you answer. We can know those who are pastors among them. We can know those who are teachers among them. We can know the one that has, who is, who is an evangelist among them. We can know apostles from among you. But this is the truth. Every one of you belongs to one of these five. Everyone belongs to one of these five. Because you remember we began by saying that Jesus gives you a portion once he gives you a handshake of salvation. Now, let me say this to you, therefore. Every Christian that goes to church, this is the reason why you go to church. So that God will use those measures to develop your soul so that you can become matured in God. And you will not be dabbled about by waves of doctrine, you know. And then you too can manifest in the full office sometime. If God has called you into that office. You know, in the world you have the ministry of trade, the ministry of transport, the ministry of, uh, of uh, home office, foreign office. But in those offices you have workers and you have ministers. And usually, what happens in most cases is that people who become ministers of those offices are people who have worked within that field. The minister of trade must have worked in the trade industry. But not everyone who works in trade industry becomes the minister. The minister will have a, some colleagues. Some of them become directors. Some of them become, you know, some other things there. But among them, one will be a minister. You have shadow ministers. That is ministers to be. The same thing with the gospel. The Bible says that to each one of you, grace has been given, and he had called some of you to the office or the ministry of pastor, the ministry of teacher, the ministry of evangelist, the ministry of prophet, the ministry of apostle. Now let me say this to you, therefore. We all are in the ministry. And then, as we walk for the Lord and walk with the Lord, we begin to get more grace upon more grace, 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 until we get matured. If a church does not deliver people in the grace, people should get out of the church. And if you come to the church and you are not developing in the grace, something is wrong with you. Because if you look at, why will God raise so many grace from among you? Verse 12. To prepare God's people for what? The works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. This church be built up. Those of you who came from sister churches, you know, you, God gave you this so that you can build up the parishes where you are. Therefore, you cannot be in a church and do nothing. You are wasting the grace. The grace upon you. You know something with a, a sharpened knife? If you sharpen a knife and you put it in the pot and you never use it, it gets dull. When you sharpen a knife and you use it regularly, it gets more sharpened. Listen to me, therefore. 
Every one of you have grace, 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 grace in these five areas. God is challenging you. What have you done with the grace? Now, begin to do something with it. Somebody around you in the church needs your grace. You are receiving the grace of other people. And other people need your grace. Manifest. That is the reason for tonight. To prepare God's people. So you recognize, therefore, that the grace comes for service. So if you were God, what would you do? Somebody who serves the Lord, but he didn't have enough grace. What do you do? Increase his grace. Isn't it? Somebody who has a heart to serve. Anytime there's an issue, he wants to be there to help. He wants to be there to help. He wants to be in the other place to help. What do you do with God? If you are God, you increase his grace. The same thing with God. That's what God does. That's what God does. Let me say something to you. You cannot fast for grace. Because grace is unmerited favor. You cannot work for grace. Jesus is the one who determines the grace and he gives you according to his own measure. But you can attract grace. Why? Because you are available for grace to come. Somebody who, who, who lavishes himself in the service of the Most High, then the Lord Jesus will see that he is working so hard, but the grace he has is so little. What do we do to him, angels? Can we increase his grace? And the angels will run to you very speedily. Because you have given yourself to the service. So that that grace will build somebody up. When the church is built up, what happens? What is the aim? Look at the next verse 13. Until we all reach the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Matured, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. You can become like Jesus in your lifetime. That's what the scripture says. Someone say amen. Look at what our scripture tells you. The grace you have, as you use it to build one another, you both start growing, increasing in the knowledge of God, increasing in the grace of God, until we reach full measure, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that Jesus is coming sooner than you think? I was sharing with the leaders for the past two days. I've been listening to various prophecies in the world. Because when Jesus appeared to me in 1999, 1999, 99, yes, it's 99, December 99, he took me to a place where the calendar of the world is kept. And he showed me this world every year from 2000 to the year 2015. And he shut the book. I have told you this for 15 years. Now we are in the 2015. There are some videos that, I, that came across my, my way, and I will give it to every one of you. I will make sure that you all watch it. I will send it to your pastors, you know, those of you who are visiting from sister churches. Now, this is it. The scientists believe, they have in the record for many years now, that by September the 25th, there will be a conjugation. And it tallies with the Jewish festival. And from their understanding, they believe that it is marking the end of a time to introduce the beginning of a new time, season. People have various prophecies and indications concerning 2015 and 2016. If those things are exact, then Jesus will come before the end of next year. 
or before the end of December. But you understand the fact. Jesus said in Matthew 20, chapter 24, verse 14, that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a demonstration. And that must happen before the coming of Jesus. Which means the church must manifest before Jesus will come. The Antichrist is already living. If you don't know what the Antichrist is, Antichrist is a man, a human being, that Satan will possess. You have done that in Revelation in the Bible school. Satan will possess, he will subject people in this world to heavy torture, unbearable sorrow and pain. He has been born. We know it. He is a mature person. We know it. If you don't understand, you better do now. The church of God is not going to be on this earth for too long. Because this world has gone to a place of turgidity. We have come to the end of line. And if we continue, it will break off. The whole wealth of the whole world is run only by two families. You know that? Only two families. And these two families are the ones who, who lend money to all nations. Even America, they owe them. They are the ones who forgive the, the debt of Africa. When Britain had problems, they are the ones who build up Britain. They were talking about Greece just last month. Greece had problems, they were the ones who set the condition for Greece. Just two families in this world. When two families can hold the whole world ransom in their finance, then how can you not understand that what the Bible said about the beast is so and is true? It's happening. They are the ones who send out their, their, their messengers and evangelists to, 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 to create so many fashions and make people promiscuous so that the devil can afflict people and get more people to hell. Listen to me. And they are increasing in their innovation per day. That is the reason why the mercy of God will strike the church of God so that the church of God, you and I, will arise in a new power and we will go to the ends of the earth reclaiming the whole land for the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. As Satan depends on these people, God depends on you and I. You know, when I was looking at what the devil is doing, I, just, I, I was just happy. You know what makes me happy? I am among the generation that God will use to put an end to the madness of hell. What about you? Are you part of the generation? Are you not the one who sing that song? We had a chosen generation. Say what? Do, 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 do. Uh-huh. So if you know who you are, the blind should see through you, the lame should walk through you, Come on now, someone say amen. amen. And the death shall be raised through you. That is what Jesus calls us into. Are we together now? The Bible says the whole world is waiting with eager expectation for the sons of God to manifest or to be revealed. And you are the sons of God. The devil doesn't want you to know that. Someone is feeling, Satan will make you feel guilty of some things that you didn't do right. Let me say something to you. What God needs is a contrite spirit, not Mr. Perfect. A man that fears when he hears the word of God. A man who can rely on the Holy Spirit for his perfection. But a man who will not disobey the voice of heaven. Joseph says, for me to do this and sin against the Lord, he fled. 
That's the kind of man God is looking for. Therefore, we are in for a big do in this season. Attaining the full measure of the fullness of Christ. What happens when a Christian becomes matured? In about 10 minutes now we will pray. What happens when a Christian gets matured? Look at the next verse. Are we together? Stop. Shall we read it again? <laughs> then we will no longer be infants. Now, who are infants? They are tossed back and forth by the wave, waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Now, God told us here that in our time there will be a lot of liars who will come in the name of the Lord. Apostle, lie. Prophet, liar. Pastor, deceitful. Teacher, a rogue. And they will come with all manners of teachings. When you see a Christian, he hears that there is a power there, he is running there, he is what? An infant. Another power has risen there, he is running there, he is what? An infant. This is what happened to them. You have grace. Once you are born again. And you are running to another person's grace that is manifesting. Does that make sense? Why, why, can't, you, why can't you manifest your own grace? So when you hear that, that is one powerful man there. They all run there. They are all infants. Oh, there is somebody there. He can see. He can see. And what does he see? Your telephone number, it tells you. The, the food you ate two days ago, it tells you. He's just giving you excitement. And then the number, the address of your house, it tells you. God is not in the business of trying to impress you. That's no prophecy. In the book of Isaiah, it says that, tell us what is about to happen that we may know you are God. Someone told you your mother's bad date and your father's bad day is a medium. Because we never see a prophet in the Bible who, who did that. Prophets, are not, they are not in the place to try and make you feel they are prophet. They come with the word of God and they leave you. Finish. You accept it. It's your business. You reject it. What they say will come to pass. The reason why people move from pillar to post is because they are babies. And what the ministry does is to mature. Like this week, every one of you who have been coming from Monday, haven't you learned some, some new things? Come on now, let's talk together. The, the, you, you are no more the way you, you came. Because every day you came, knowledge was added to you. And when knowledge comes from God, it comes with impartation, which is virtue. Which you may not feel any physical changes, but watch your lives from this, after this convention. Watch what will be happening to you. You will recognize that something has happened to you. So therefore, the first thing I want to see here before we go into the specific is this. If you refuse to manifest, you deprive somebody of your grace. You have a grace. Let me ask you a question. If tomorrow we came into, Sunday we came to the church, and we found out that overnight, on Saturday, they've made a new law, that every Christian in Woolwich should be arrested. Okay? 
And you heard that they have arrested someone, some Christians, they put chains in their hand and they're taking them to, to detention. Will you still be able to come to church on Sunday and say, I am a child of God? Will you be able to go to the policeman and say to the policeman that I was told you are looking for me? Who are you? I'm a Christian. And you have been given order to arrest me. I'm here. If they begin to behead Christians, and those who behead them, like we had on the news today, some 60 or 64 Christians who were just arrested by ISIS yesterday in Syria. If you were among those 64 Christians, and knowing fully well that when ISIS arrests people, they behead their own people, talk less a Christian. They will angrily behead you. Will you still be able to say, I'm a Christian? And use that opportunity to check the ISIS, how Jesus loves him. How somebody came from heaven and died for him. How Jesus loves him even with, with what he is, but hate his act, but there's a way for him to, uh, to escape hell. Will you be able to tell him that there is a hell for those who do not accept Jesus, and there is a heaven for those who love Jesus, and tell him the reason why you arrested me is because Jesus wants you to hear about the message of salvation. This is my head now. Haven't heard. If you would not be able to do that, tonight is for you. Because it takes somebody who was under grace to have such boldness. It takes somebody who has matured in his Christianity to understand that's what I'm telling you. That small girl you were told in the week in Nigeria that the Boko Haram arrested, they dug a pit and they told all of them to deny Jesus. Some denied. And the girl said, I will not deny Jesus. He is my Savior. And they said, you, you will not deny Jesus. Okay, we will not behead you. And they dug a pit. I have the video. It's your pastor who told me not to show you, or else I would have shown all of you. Because some of you will not be able to sleep if you watch it. I watched it. They dug the, the, the grave, brown grave, and they dumped that girl there to her height, her shoulder height, so that her head was out. And they put her hands down, tied it together, and they poured sand over her to the neck. And they were telling her, she refused to deny Jesus Christ. And they surrounded her men and took stones and began to stone her head alive. And I saw it till they stoned her and the head broke into pieces. And the father of that child was on Al Jazeera last month saying that I was happy when I saw it was my daughter that was stoned to death for the Lord Jesus. If, let me say something to you, all of you listen to me. The year 2000 and 2001, I went to Nigeria and warned Nigeria that I saw a people they entered Nigeria from Niger Republic. And they were dressed the way they are dressed now with Islamic stuff. And they began to kill Christians and kill the people of their towns and villages. They burnt down their houses. They beheaded them. And the Lord told me to go and tell them, if the church of God in Nigeria can pray, it will be averted. I went from door to door haven't announced it all over the place. I told you here before I went. Haven't announced it all over the whole place. I went from door to door. I went to the church leaders of Nigeria, but no action was taken. And I told them, 
by the third year, 2003, I am going back. Because these things will happen in this nation. Some said I was cranking. It can happen in Nigeria. But it took them by surprise. Many were slaughtered. If you were part of those who have to be beheaded or stoned to death, will you still be a Christian? If you would not, that is the reason for tonight. That's why Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Not only power to preach the gospel, but the power to confront the devil. The power to overcome the schemes of hell. The power to consecrate yourself. The power to be focused in God. The power to trust God. To believe what the Bible says. The power that will not change your mind for anything. A believer must be full of the power of God. Listen to me, therefore. See, that girl who was stoned to death, I wish I died that way because they have a better place in heaven than us who die normally. They are called martyrs. Jesus has a special place for them in heaven. But you know something? Can it happen in England? It's at our door. Can it happen in America? It's knocking their palace. That is the reason why you and I must be full of the power of the Holy Spirit. So that before the time of tribulation will begin, of course, the time of manifestation must first ensue. The season we are now is the season that God wants to enclose you with power. Enclose me with power. That's where we are tonight. I told you to read the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, isn't it? Come on now. From what verse? From verse 4 to 11. If you look at verse 4, for you to manifest in the grace portion, you need gifts. It says there are different kinds of gifts or the same spirits. There are different kinds of services but the same Lord. That is the portions of ministry and the, the, the sixth one. There are different kinds of working but the same God. Number six. So, Jesus calls you to ministry. Holy Ghost gives you the gift and the Father works through you. Come on, we have the combination of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Alright? Jesus calls you to ministry. He gives you portion. Holy Ghost gives you the gift to operate. And the Father will come into you. And he will take the gifts. And he begin to work miracles through you. And work manifestation of power. I love it. Tonight, God will add to the doors that you got. I say God will work something out of you. Yes, thank you, Lord. I had that. Satan lose. I say the devil lose over you. For you, you will do the will of God in heaven. The power of hell will not be able to hinder you. The deception of Satan in these last days will not take you over. Rise up on your feet, please. I want the choir to move to the altar. 
Now lift up your voice and begin to pray in the new tongues. Pray in new tongues rather. If you have never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, begin to say, Jesus, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. The Bible says this son shall follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out devils. Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit begin to pray? I wanted to tell the Lord tonight I want your power. I want your power. Tell the Lord, baptize me with your fire. The Bible says Jesus will baptize us with Holy Ghost and fire. 